Today, we're going to conclude our series on the weapons of our warfare. We're going to talk about obedience. Again, many times when we hear the word obedience, we think that it is a reaction to what God wants, not an offensive weapon. But I'm telling you that we can use obedience as an attack weapon. We attack by being obedient to God's word. Amen? Now, I, I, I know it's a nice day outside, and I know that you know, it, you know, people are ready to get home and enjoy the sunshine, but don't get quiet on that. If you stay quiet, I may preach till you get loud. You're, now, I don't know what that means. Everybody start getting loud like, are you done? Reminds me of when I was a kid. Back in those days, it was okay for your parents to put you over their knee. And uh, maybe that's what needs to come back. Anyway, um, I remember, I remember my mama. My mama had put me over her knee. And well, very young age, by 10 or 12, I was bigger than mama. And uh, about 11 or 12, I decided, about 11, I decided mama couldn't whip me no more. Little old mama can't do nothing to me. And uh, uh, my, my parents never beat me, but they did use my, my belt to come as close as they could <laughs> to knocking the devil out of me. And um, I'll never forget my mama. My mama put me over her knee one day and got my belt, and I was like, go for it, woman. And my mama started whipping and whipping and whipping. And finally, I figured out she was waiting on something. And I went, oh, and she hit two more times. It was done. Oh, I got smart then. I found out when you shout, she quits. So from that point on, if she took me in to give me a whip and she had pulled that belt back and I go, ah, and she had hit two times, it was over. And, and, uh, and, and so some of you are trying to shout today, so I'll hit two times and it'll be over with. But, uh, but I got a whole sermon ready for you. So, uh, the weapons of our warfare. Won't you open your Bibles with me, if you will, to, amen. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 6. If you're visiting with us, you wonder why everybody's yelling. We get excited about opening the Bible in this house. Amen. It's what the word of the Lord says, reading from the New King James Version. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleasing with you, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think as if we, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience with your obe when your obedience is 
fulfilled. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to become obedient to your word. Allow us, Lord Jesus, to understand that there is victory. There is power. There is an anointing when we become obedient to your word. Lord, let us understand that obedience is not a reaction, but obedience is an attack mode. Because when we listen to your direction, we listen to your word, we will defeat every enemy and every foe. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Obedience. None of us like to hear that word. When I hear the word obedience... I'm taken back to my days as a child when I spent many of my hours and many of my days being disobedient to my parents. Some of y'all should have been saying, no, not you, Pastor. There you go. That's better. I wish my mom and daddy were here right now because they'd be going, no, never was he disobedient. Somebody's talking about me lying. Oh, my word. My wife's over there mimicking my mom right now, bouncing that foot. But disobedience is something that nobody has to teach us. We don't get taught disobedience. We come out that way. I, I, I remember when my boys were born. They, nobody had to teach them how to say no. They learned that word all by themselves. Nobody had to teach them how to say mine. They learned that word all And nobody Why? Because the sin nature of man dictates that we're born into a disobedient mindset. We're born seeking our own, not seeking somebody else. Obedience becomes something that we learn, a trait that we learn. Obedience takes on a lot of different forms. You can be an obedient person and not be a Christian. You can be obedient to the laws of the land and still be outside the box. Many of you know my oldest son, Anthony. Anthony sort of is an out-of-the-box thinking kind of person. He's a, he, he, he's a, 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 a te- I've told him often, he was born 30 years too late. He should have, actually probably 40 or 50 years too late. He should have been alive in the late 60s and early 70s because he would have fit into the hippie culture really well. He, he uh, is an artist. He's an actor. He lives in the theater realm. And so he sees life differently. He flows from thing to thing. He, he, he lived in his car last summer. He, he, he just sold his car. He's going back to the boat. As a matter of fact, he's back at studio today. But getting ready to go back out on the boat for another six and a half months, seven months. And, and he sold his car before he left. And I said, well, what are you going to do when you get back? He goes, well, hopefully 
I can find me a van. That way I don't have to get an apartment. Because if I can get me a van, I'll just live in my van. As long as you got room for your dog in your van, I don't care. He, he thinks outside the box. But let me tell you something a lot of people don't know about Anthony. Anthony is obedient. Some of you are going, no, really? Let, let me tell you something. I don't know if he's still this way, but when Anthony was 16 and 17 years old, if I would get in the car with Anthony and I would, on a warm day and the windows would be down, if I'd put my arm outside the car like this, he'd pull over. Put your arm back in the car. You can't drive. I can't drive down the road if your arm is outside that car. Son, just drive. No, I can't go. No, you got to stay in the car. Me and Michael are not near as obedient as Anthony was. So me and Michael had a habit of when Anthony would be driving on a nice warm day, me and Michael would climb up and sit in the window of the car and drive Anthony crazy. Get back in this car! It's against the rules! When you know Anthony, you find out if something is against the rule, Anthony is like, oh no, we can't do that. Now his obedience doesn't keep him from having a different view of life. His obedience is something that is built in him, but he still can be free-flowing like a hippie. I know it sounds weird, but it's, I see it in my son. Now let's bring that into the church. You can have people that come to church every Sunday that shout and hoot and holler and sing the songs, but they don't walk in obedience. You see... You see, you can have people that know how to come and cry in an altar. You can have people that know how to run the aisles, but they don't know how to live their life with obedience. Oh, pastor, no, I, I don't believe that. I think that if they're on fire for God, if they feel the Spirit, if they move in the Spirit, they've got to be obedient. No, the They're not carnal. It is not. It's not about an emotional high when we get in the altar. It's about grabbing a hold of a spirit that leads us and we become offensively, uh, actively, warriorly obedient to God so that That the only thing that I, like the old preacher said, I'll shout at the drop of the hat and drop the hat myself. But the spirit was never there for us to have a shout. The spirit was there, tarry until you be endued with powerful on high, so you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The reasoning for the anointing of the Holy Ghost is so we can be obedient enough to witness it. 
So how do we make obedience a weapon? By understanding some attributes of obedience. I told the story to the kids this morning about Gideon's 300. If you want to read that story, you can go to Gideon chapter Gideon. You can go to Judges chapter 7. And you can read about Gideon's 300. And I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to spend some time this week reading through the book of Judges, reading through this story, the story of the life of Gideon. Uh, you're going to grow when you understand what God provides. But in Judges chapter 7, we find that the Midianites had come and covered the north side. Come, let me read this verse. When then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moriah in the valley. When you research this out, you find out, as I told the kids, the Midianites had 135,000 people. 135,000 soldiers. When they got there, Gideon and his army had 32,000 soldiers. Now, I don't know about you, but I have just enough math to understand that 135,000 is more than 32,000. I've got just enough understanding to know that when you line up with a group of 100 uh, of 32,000 and you look out and there's 135,000, you go, uh oh, uh oh, we're in trouble now. But then God makes one of those God statements. And, and, And I don't mean to say this wrong and I don't mean disrespect. But when you read the Bible and when you've lived for God for a little while, you'll find out one, 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 every once in a while God makes a God statement. Now, you know what a God statement is. It's a statement that is only visible through faith. But through the physical eye, the natural eye, usually God's statements are just a little off track. What is wrong with you? You're supposed to be the creator of the universe. I can count better than you can. God ever told you something that was a God statement? Mm, God, that don't, no, that don't sound right, God. (laughs) I don't know how that's going to work. God looks at Gideon and says, you have too many people to fight that army. If you win, you're just going to say, man, we got 32,000 bad to the bone warriors. Says, I need you to know that it's me, not you. Some, oh, I got to back up here just a second and get off script. Some of you need to hear this verse. You got too many people because you won't know that it was me. Some of you right now are being attacked. Some of you are being pulled back. Some of you are being hurt and you feel like everything around you is falling apart. Everything around you is falling away. Maybe God's just saying, listen, I want you to understand it's not by your strength. It's not by your might, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. It's time that we start understanding.
So he says, let me start showing you what obedience looks like. The first thing I see is that obedience has no fear. First thing God says, gather the people together and said, if any of you are afraid, if you're worried about this, go home. You know what we need in some churches nowadays? We need some pastors that got the boldness in God. To stand up or sit down and look at their people and say, if you're afraid to live for God, go home. If you're afraid to witness, go home. Oh, 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 pastor, we don't need anybody else leaving the church. <laughs> we, we. Let me tell you something. In case you don't know, this isn't your church. This is God's church. And what God owns, God blesses. If we're going to use obedience as a weapon, we have to understand that obedience walks without fear. And if we are walking afraid, oh, if I say that, somebody's going to get mad and they're going to leave. Y'all know I worry with that, right? Most of you are going, yeah, right, yeah. But, but I actually do occasionally when I'm not preaching. Well, no, not much then either. Uh, when... When we think that I'm afraid to go to the altar because somebody will think something. Or I'm afraid to do this. Or I'm afraid to do that. Or I'm afraid to do this. Then we allow fear to kill our obedience. Do you know with obedience comes blessing? With obedience comes provision? Everybody here knows I talk about it all the time. God told me 20 years ago to write a book. He didn't just tell me to write a book. He said, write a book, and you won't have to worry about finances no more. But I have fear. Dear Lord, I can't even talk right, much less write, right? Right, right, right? I I can't do it. And then even if I could do it, who in the world would buy a book I wrote? Yeah, but you'd buy anybody's book. I, that doesn't help me much, Chris. I mean, you know, I, I, can't even, I can't even get a church to fill up the chairs to hear me talk. And I talk all the time. Who is going to buy a book that I write? And, and I, I just, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't see how this works. My fear. A couple of years ago, Mike Rook said something to me. It's one of the catalyst that has me working again on a book i know i've worked on books several times since i've been here but i'm working again on a book actually i'm working on two of them at one time imagine that i can't get one i just gotta do two i know it's a bad idea that's what the other person helped me write the book says no just stick anyway but mike rooks told me 
He said, have you ever thought about it's just about the obedience? He said, your book may never get published. It may never sell a copy, but the obedience of writing the book may open up something else in your life that provides for your finances. You see, if we're going to walk in victory, we have to walk with no fear. There is one thing that my ministry in this church has become known by. That's a little three-word phrase. God's got this. That is a phrase of boldness. That is a phrase of no fear. I don't understand what's happening, but God's got this. God's going to take this. When 32,000 people were asked, if you're afraid, go home. 22,000 of them got got up and walked out the door. Gideon had to be going, thought maybe 10. What does it say to the general, to the leader of the army, when 22,000 of your 32,000 soldiers say, I'm afraid you're going to get us killed? I, 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 can't, I can't make it here. I can't survive here. And they leave. You know what happens in the church? We have people that come in the church and they're afraid to witness. They're afraid to worship. They're afraid to pray. They're afraid to come to the altar. And then we wonder why in heaven's name God doesn't move. I don't know that I've ever done this here. But I used to do this a lot in Delaware. In Delaware, I'd preach things. I'd say, if you don't like it, let me make sure it's easy. And I would walk back to the back door. And I would open it up and say, if you can't trust God to take care of your situation... You can't trust God to live your life. If your life is defined by fear, either give up. Pastor, what if somebody gets up and leaves? Then they wasn't here to help us anyway. Come on now. What, What happened to the day that we trust God? But what happens is we begin to walk in that same fear. And when somebody leaves, oh, I got to go there. You know, there was a whole movement in this church. And there's still people we struggle with. I just can't do it without Brian and Anna. It's just not the same without Brian and Anna. Let me tell you something. Brian and Anna were great people. Now they're great people in another church. They, they were prepared by what they did here to do something someplace else. They were never intended to be here forever. They were never intended to be here forever. And we cannot put our faith in a person. Let me tell you something. Your faith can't be in Brian and Anna. When I was in Wilmington, Delaware, no, back that up, Van Wert, Ohio. 
My first Sunday we got there, we had about 34, 35 people. We were running about 45. We'd grown a little bit, but not a lot. And all of a sudden, one of the foundations of our church, Sister Gretna, got sick. I said, Van Ruy, I changed it to Van Work. Man, listen. Open up your ears and listen. Don't be afraid to hear me preach. Oh, anyway. Um, <laughs> Sister Gretna got sick. She got cancer. One Wednesday afternoon, she died. I remember it like it was yesterday. I sat at that hospital. And I'm consoling the family. And my heart's doing this. Gretna and her husband did all kinds of stuff in the church. Her two daughters were highly involved. One of her daughters was my secretary. And she, 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 she was, she was best legs and, 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 and my calendar. I mean, she, she just did tons of stuff. Gretna's granddaughter was my, was my decorator and she decorated, she did all my stage decorations and, and, and everything that happened in, the, just about anything that happened in church somehow connected to Gretna. And in her family, she was the cornerstone. She was the rock. And I was scared to death that if Gretna dies, they're going to just start. And who's going to do this? And who's going to do that? And who's going to do this? And I'll never forget it. God, how are we going to make it? How are we going to make it? The Sunday after Gretna died on, on Wednesday, I had five people, no, seven people, excuse me, seven people walk in church, hadn't been there before, or had been gone for a long time. And the first things out of their mouth, every one of them, first thing, I was at home this week, and God came to me, and I, gave, I got saved at home. We went into a season for six weeks we went into a season where somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 people got saved at home and then came to the church. And all of a sudden, we went from running 40, 45 to running 70, 75 within six, eight weeks of Gretna's death. Gretna wasn't in the way, but God said, listen, I need you to understand you're not depending on Gretna to be happy. You're not depending on Gretna for blessing. You're depending on me, and I can move mountains. Let me tell you something, church. We need to start understanding that there is no need for fear. There is no need for doubt. There is no need for struggle. 22,000 walked off, but 10,000 said, you know what? They may be gone, but we're still not afraid. I know I got to get to my next point. She hasn't looked at me yet, and she's giving me that look now. I said, hurry up. Can I tell you how I think this happened? I think he said, if anybody's afraid, leave. And I think maybe at first there was about 10. But then there were about 50 that saw the 10. And then there was about 200 that saw the 50. And then there was about 2,000 that saw the 200. And then there was 20,000 that saw the 2,000. And every time somebody left, oh, oh, we can't do it without them. 
Oh, we can't do it without them. Oh, we can't do it without them. Let me tell you something. You don't need anybody. You don't need. You don't need a worship leader. You don't need a prayer leader. You don't need a pastor to get what God wants. All you need is God. Praise God we have a worship leader. Praise God we got a prayer leader. Praise God you got a pastor. Only one person was excited about that. Oh, well. Oh, I got somebody going, two people. But let me tell you something. If I drop dead this afternoon, it doesn't stop this church. Wanda, been here about as long as anybody else. Yeah, Wanda and Connie, they're our cornerstones. I love both of these ladies. But they're probably not going to live forever. And I don't say that disrespectfully. They're probably not going to live forever. But whenever God gives them their reward, if that happens before he, we all get to see his glory, that's not going to stop this church. It's not going to, it's not going to change who we are. Why? Because this isn't the church of Wanda. Praise God. <laughs> First church of sandpaper. (laughs) It's not the church of Connie. It's not the church of Pastor Tommy. This is the church of God. This is God's house. And we need to stand like the 10,000. God said we should be here. Let's be here. Obedience has no fear. But then God makes another one of those God statements. No, you still got too many. We got to figure this out. We find out that obedience is observant. When you get to talking about obedience, especially obedience as a weapon, people think you need blind obedience. Blind obedience sometimes is stupid. The Bible says test the spirits. We got to know where we're at. We got to know what we're being obedient to. Here, God says, listen, let's see how how, how, uh, observant the obedient is. He said, take them to the lake. Take them to the river. He said, and have them get a drink of water. Here's what it says. Everybody who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, set them aside. When you read this in the New Living Translation, get to me a better, clearer view. It says anybody... hands together. Drinks in their hand. Put them to the side. And everybody (laughs) who puts their water, puts their mouth in the water and drinks. Set them aside. 
I need a Kleenex. <laughs> Do you notice a big difference there? If you cup up the water in your hand and you lap it, where are your eyes? They're up. You're obedient. You're meeting your needs, but you're still keeping your eyes on where you're going. When you put your mouth in the river, where are your eyes? Your eyes are focused on what you want. Mm. It is good. I wish I'd have thought of that for my notes. It just came to me. Let me tell you something. If we're going to be truly obedient... We get what we need while we keep our eyes on who's leading us. When we become disobedient, we start putting our eyes on what we want. We start putting our eyes down in the water. You see, God says obedience is observant. Obedience pays attention. Let me bring it into a realm outside of water because everybody's going, well, I don't drink water either way. I just get a bottle and drink. I drink with a straw. Boy, that's becoming controversial. Anyway. Let me put it in a realm that we understand. His church, do you see more what you want than you see God? I can worship him if it's the style of music I like. I can endure the preaching if it's the, you know, if it's the kind of preaching I like. Short and sweet and to the point gets us out before the Baptist. Hang on, folks. I'll get you out after the Baptist and the restaurants are even more empty. Relax. Quit. Are we focused on our desires or are we keeping our eyes focused on where Christ is? Are we walking into the church and we're looking up going, okay, pastor, feed me because I haven't eaten all week. Are we keeping our eyes on the word of God to make sure the pastor doesn't go astray? Mm. I am convinced that the reason we have some struggles in America is because pastors have gotten their eyes off of God and whole churches follow them and never figure out that they're wrong. Because they don't read their Bibles enough, they don't study enough to understand when the man of God starts preaching the wrong thing. Oh, I've had times where people come up and say, Pastor, I'm not sure you said that right. You know what I say every time? Show me, because I want to learn. And then I get so excited that I've got men and women in my church who know the Bible well enough that if I get it wrong, they're going to go, whoa, 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 whoa. You may not have meant it this way, but this is what you said. But if we just go, oh, he gets us out on time. He's fun to listen to. We're destined for destruction. But when we're obedient enough to God, I'm getting my fill. But my eyes are on the prize. My eyes are on my relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. We need to get our heads up and get, you know, the old song. Boy, I don't quote old songs a lot 
Brother Mark, you'll probably know this song. I can't remember the name of the song. It says, my foot's on the rock and my mind's made up. You remember that song? It says, I'm standing here, my mind's made up, and, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach on. And I don't care what's happening here because I'm looking beyond. I don't care what's going on around me because God has got my future laid out. God has got my future planned out for me. 22,000 people had left. That's about two-thirds, just a little over two-thirds of how many people were there to start with when they were afraid. But I want you to get this. 97%, if I've got my math right, 10,300 were left. That would be about 3%, right? 100 is 1% of 10,000, right? She works in school. She's supposed to know. I would have asked a treasurer, but I'm afraid he wouldn't have known. And I didn't. 97% put their eyes on themselves. And only 3% were watching God. Only 3% were observant. Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying every time obedience goes another level deeper, there's a bigger cut. There's a bigger cut in our numbers, but not in our ability. Pastor, you saying we need to get rid of everybody but three people? No! But what I am saying is it's time that we get our eyes on God and we become observant in our... Not some charismatic guy that can talk well. That's why I know you're not following somebody like that because I don't talk well. We got to get our eyes on Christ. Obedience isn't afraid, but obedience isn't stupid either. That's probably, probably how I should have made that slide. Obedience isn't stupid. It's observant. It watches. It reads. It follows. It pays attention. There is nothing worse. There's nothing worse to a pastor. And people that show up to church every week and go. That was good. But go out every week and make the same mistakes they've made every other week. They don't change their life. They don't change their habits. They don't change their situations. They just go through the motions. I was in a church one time that was dead as a doornail. Spiritually, they were just dead. I didn't even want to go there. God 
made me go there. I mean, God literally moved heaven and hell to get me there. Every time I tried to sabotage it, they gave me a raise. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. I'm not. I wind up there. Man, I felt like I was pulling teeth, man. I'd get up and preach. I led worship there, and I'd lead worship, and they would be. They wouldn't stand. And I'm not talking about here. But you know what? We had a family come to that church. When they walked in, they were like, oh! And I thought, they're weird. I mean, they were weird to me. <laughs> but you know what happened? They started following them. Oh, I thought it was a great deal. Do you know what happens when that family leaves? I've been in churches where I pastored. And when I got there, there were anger and discord and discontentment. And that set feelings. And I build unity and I build this and I build that. And then when I leave, it takes them less than a year to be back fighting again. You know what that tells me? They wasn't observant. They had their eyes on what they wanted. They were just following a person. They were just following somebody else. I don't want you worshiping because somebody else worships. I want you to see God enough to worship on your own. Be observant. I've got to hurry. I've got to be observant. Obedience shouts for victory. They go by. They go out, just 300 of them now. And then Gideon divides them into three groups. So now there's just 100 per group. One to the right and one to the left, right and left. They have a pitcher, a lamp, and a sword. Ooh, they're ready to fight, aren't they? They put the lamp inside the pitcher. Hold the sword. And Gideon says, when you hear the trumpet sound, I want you to break the pitcher. Let that light shine and shout. And all of a sudden, Gideon blows the trumpet in the dead of night. They break those pitchers. Lights light up all around the enemy camp. The enemy jumps up. Assuming there's a multitude surrounding them. Begin to run into each other's swords. Begin to fight each other. Begin to trip over each other. Begin to fall on their own swords. Run in fear. Run in in doubt. Run in worry. Why? Because they heard the shout. You want to know why the enemy doesn't run from you? Because he never hears the shout. 
You can't sneak up on the devil to beat him. It's time we understand that it's God's power that's going to beat him. And so we start shouting. I preached last week or week before about the walls of Jericho. And I talked about how they had to shout before the walls could come down. I'm telling you, church, it's time that we lift up our voice and we say, I'm going to be obedient enough. And when the sound comes, when the right time's here, I'm going to. The enemy doesn't know what to do with that. I told you back a few weeks ago when I preached on prayer. And I talked about every time we pray a prayer of attack to the enemy. That all the devil hears is something that sounds sort of like a shotgun. When the devil hears the shout of victory, he doesn't hear a. Here's a recoil of a tank. Boom. Here's the sound of a jet. Here's a rumble of army steps. It's not just one shotgun coming at him. Now he hears the army of the God, the army of God advancing towards his post. But pastor, I'm just a quiet kind of person. Well, I've seen some of your Facebook posts about the president. You're not real quiet. Ooh, come on now. I'm just a quiet person. I've seen some of you at high school football games. There's some of you make more noise in church when I talk about how bad the Kansas City Chiefs are than you make when I talk about how good Jesus Christ is. That's right. Never, never apologize. Let me tell you something. Our problem is, I don't want to shout for victory because what if God doesn't do it? Coming up this next month, we're going to do a healing service. I can tell you who's going to get healed. People come in shouting for victory. People walking in going. I'll pray again. I tell you something, church. I know. I can't tell you how many times me and Beth have prayed for her healing. We started this journey with stupid statements. God's going to let it be visible so everybody can see the healing. Don't ever pray that. As soon as the devil, as soon as the doctors give you a bad report, ask God to heal you immediately. I don't care if anybody can see it or not. Now we're going, God, everybody can see it. <laughs> it's time. But I know what it feels like to go over and pray for my wife for the four millionth time. And she still drags that foot. I know what that feels like. But I have to remind myself. And sometimes I have to remind her. We don't know when it's going to come. And we got to believe. We got to believe. The 32,000, the 22,000 have left. 
the 9,700 have left. Maybe we got to get all the way down to the 300. But we'll praise God. We'll praise God. Let me tell you something, church. If you want victory, you got to proclaim it. You got to shout for it. One more point. Obedience doesn't stop. The Bible says that the enemy began to run. It would have been easy for the 300 to say, hey, we won the battlefield. We won the battlefield. You better get ready, Corey. We won the battlefield. But their obedience wasn't limited to a battlefield. Because what happens is the enemy took off. And the obedient warriors went. I'm going to get you. I'm glad we got nurses in the house. (sighs) They chased after them. They chased after them until they caught them. They didn't eat. They didn't drink. They were on the chase. They come to one town, say, can we have some food as we chase the enemy? And they said, oh, no, no, if you want not to beat them, they'll come back and attack us. Gideon said, once we dispose of them, we're going to come destroy you. And they chased down the, the enemy and came back and destroyed that town. I got to think of something hard to say. Let me tell you something. The reason some of us lose our obedience, we don't have fear. We're observant. We shout. But we won't run the distance. We don't have that one simple thing, that one little word that we need. You're out of shape. You're supposed to say tenacity. They don't have tenacity. They don't run the fight. One of the verses I looked at for this sermon was Paul's farewell verse to to Timothy. I fought a good fight. I've run the race. There is therefore now laid up for me a crown of victory. I ran the course. I did what I needed to do. I never quit. We have back here on this back row, Brother Lowell and Sister Annie. They never quit. Lord, help. They wear me out. I slow down. Stop. No, they got to go here. They got to go there. And they gotta... You know why? Because their obedience says I can't stop. My dad retired from pastoral work a year and a half ago. You know where he's at today? He's in Illinois taking care of a church. He told him, I'll come take care of it for three weeks. 
talk to him this week is, well, I'm going to be there probably at least through Easter. So three weeks is going to be six weeks. I'm like, Dad, you retired. He said, I'm not quitting. I don't think he'll be at that church forever. Dad preaches all the time. Why? Because he said, just because I've retired, that doesn't mean I've become disobedient. God told me when he called me to preach his word. And when dad retired, he prayed and he said, God, if you'll open a door, I'll step through it. Every time you have somebody call me to preach, if there's any way possible, I'll be there to preach. Why? Because he's still obedient. Obedience doesn't stop. I pastored a lady one time who came to me and said, I've done a lot in my life. When my husband's lied, we lied. We did a lot of stuff. We were pastors. Just want you to know, I've done my part. I'm done. Not doing anything else. I've never been so sad for a person in my entire life. Because their obedience had a stopping spot. I picked on Sister Wanda all day today. Sister Wanda scared us a couple months ago. Scared me. Actually made me mad. She made me cry. You make me cry. You made me mad. Do you know what happened this morning? This morning I had to run up here and 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 bring my printer up here because the copier's not working, so I had to bring my printer up so we could print the bulletin and and I'd run in and dropped it off and I hear something at the door. And it's Wanda saying, I need somebody to help me. I went and bought three cases of water because we had run out of water. A few weeks, a few months ago, we didn't know she was gonna make it through the night. But her obedience doesn't stop. I'm up there opening the service today. And I look back and through the back door walks Mark Silkwood. None of us would have thought anything if he said, you know what, I need to rest. It'd be more of a reason for him to rest than most of you to stay home. Oh, so sorry. But where is he at? He's walking into the house of God. Six days after they broke open his chest. Because obedience doesn't stop. If you want to have victory, have tenacity. Hang on for the long ride. Victory don't come overnight, does it, Sister Ann? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great to pour into somebody and then everything, boom, everything's good? But instead, they got to pour in and pour in and pour in and then watch them run away and then come back and pour in and pour in and pour in. Not talking about anybody in particular. Not talking about anybody specific. I know you do. Let me tell you something. Obedience doesn't stop. How can I say this is a weapon? Because when we walk with obedience, it's fearless, it's observant, 
that shouts, that doesn't stop, we win the victory. We become overcomers. We pull down the disobedience that is naturally in our hearts. And we become the children of God. How do we walk in this, Pastor? It's pretty easy. We do whatever God tells us whenever God tells us. We don't worry about what it looks like, what it sounds like. We just do it. That sounds so simple, but I know it's so hard. We let God bless us. Amy, would you come pray something? Play something. You can pray it too if you want. Let me tell you something. We're going to close this service with pastor's prayer. It's become my, I don't know if any of you have noticed, but we've changed the schedule. We've moved pastor's prayer to the end. Why would you do that, pastor? Because I want people to have time. I don't want people to get in pastor's prayer and then me be going, oh, come on, we need to move on with the service. I want to be at a place that you can be obedient enough to tarry, to wait. See, some of you are here today, and your need for obedience is the need to heed the call of Christ. He's calling you to salvation. He's calling you to ministry. He's calling your life to service. You understand that's what salvation is? Salvation is a call to ministry. Everybody that's saved is a minister. God doesn't save people to sit around. He saves them to work. He saves them to serve. Some of you here, God's calling you to a healing. A physical healing. Some of you, God's calling you to a spiritual peace. A relational deliverance. A financial miracle. A spiritual change. God's telling you, I've got the answer. I've got what you're looking for. But we sit back in disobedience and go, well, I can't get it today. Not today. Not today could cost you your life. Next week, next month, next year, next month is Easter. I'll I'll do it at Easter. I'll get saved at Easter. I'll get healed at the healing service. What if you don't make it? 15-year-old boy in my dad's church in Cleburne, Texas. Was at camp meeting. Spirit of God moved. My mom went to him and said, Jimmy, you need to get right with God. His answer to her was, I know, Sister Sandifer, but next week is youth camp, and I'll do it there with the teenagers. I want to do it tonight. The earliest memory of my life was the following Saturday. As my mom and my dad and me, as a three or four, about three year old boy, three or four year old boy, 
sat beside a lake for five hours while they drugged that lake for Jimmy Brown's body. He never made it to camp. Our prayer is that in the struggle for life, he remembered that night because all it takes is, God, forgive me. Pastor, why would you tell that story? Because you don't know what's ahead. Get your healing. Get your deliverance. Fix your family. Fix your finances. Most importantly, fix your life today. Be obedient enough to move. Don't be afraid. And don't stop. If you've got a need in your life, I want you to be obedient enough as I pray this prayer to get out of your seat and come stand across front of this church. I'm going to anoint you with oil. It's not my touch. It's not the oil. But your obedience of getting out of your seat is going to change your life before you ever get here. And God's going to do something in your life. Dear Heavenly Father, right now, as I pray this prayer, Lord, I pray that you would allow your spirit to tug on hearts. Lord, your spirit to move. And Lord Jesus, as they feel your tug, let them be obedient enough to get up and come to the front. I don't care what people think. I don't care how scary it may be. Lord, our obedience is going to move beyond fear. It's going to move beyond doubt and complaint. Lord, our spirit is going to, our obedience is going to be observant. It's going to shout for victory, and it's not going to stop. Lord, I thank you, and I praise you. In Jesus' name, I know there's more than this. Come on. Come on. If you need something, get up here.